Welcome to your first 15 pages. I'm Sandra O'Donnell, an agent and book coach with over 20 years of experience in the publishing industry. And I'm Judd Vowell, a writer working on my fourth book, willing to share my experience of what's worked and what hasn't with listeners like you. Each week, we're going to coach you through what it takes to write, edit, and publish a book and help you go from writer to author. Thanks for joining us for episode two of your first 15 pages. In this episode, we discuss audience. And why it's important to decide who you're writing for and what your goals are before you begin any writing project. Hey, Sandra. We're back for episode two. Yes, we are. This is exciting. I think it's very fun. Okay. So today we're going to be talking about um, who's your audience. Big subject. Big subject. Very important to define your audience from the get-go. I think so. But before we do that, let's jump into our segment on what was your challenge this past week and what was your triumph if you had one? I, I had both and they're kind of combined. They're intertwined, I should say. My challenge this week was was dealing with the edits, the line edits that I received from you. Oh my gosh. I know. I opened that document and it was a bit overwhelming to say the least. But as I dug in, it became kind of a fun project. It became it became an interesting challenge to see okay. your opinion. Right. Your suggestion. Right. How I could make it better or how I could take it, rework that sentence, rework that paragraph, rework that chapter and make it better. And I think once I got to the end, it was a triumph because it was so much better. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think oftentimes when people get edits, they automatically assume that the edit means something is wrong or that they're not a good writer, that somehow they failed. And for me, when I receive edits, I always try to look at an edit as a gift that someone has spent time reading my work and giving me feedback in a way that is meaningful. I don't always accept every suggestion. I don't go through, I certainly don't through and do it, accept all and track changes and just say, well, this person, of course you know, not. it's brilliant and I'm mm-hmm. just going to accept all their changes. Mm-hmm. What I do try to do, especially when I'm editing for other people, is to at least offer a suggestion, hoping that the writer is then going to sit and look at that and go, okay, there's something, she's right. There's something about this sentence or this section that's off a little bit. Right. I don't love that suggestion, but there is something in it that needs to be fixed or expanded or whatever so that the writer then takes the initiative to hone that section a little bit. That's right. This is a, when you're, when you're writing a book, Yeah. it is a team effort and you need to look at that. You need to look at it that way. You need to have someone you trust editing. You need to accept what they tell you for what it is, that something is off. Right. For some reason, something is off. And and it can be be that the story is off. It could be that, that there's a gap. I mean, one of the things that I went through when I was editing for you the last time was really looking at gaps in the right. story. And we found a couple of those. Of and, you know, oftentimes I'll just put a, a, a comment that says, I have no idea how to fix this. Mm-hmm. Or here's a possible way of fixing you it. You do that a lot. That's right. But you'll know better. Yep. 
because you're the writer. Sometimes when I'm editing, I'm looking at sentence structure and oftentimes it's just moving a couple of words around. Of course, right. Because you're writing so fast and you, you're hearing the story in your head almost perfectly, but when you're when you go from head to hand, something gets a little lost in the right. you know, in the process. So I'm fixing that sentence structure just to make it more readable. We've talked about that a lot. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I can see how when you open a document and it's just wow, you know, <laughs> it, she claims it was not in red. I tried to put it in pink, it but came then, across as red. That, that's how you got your edit set in track changes. That's not my fault. Well, uh, that was my challenge yeah. and my triumph. Yay. I'm super proud to get through them, and I, and I, without a doubt, it's a yeah. better manuscript now. And we'll probably do that again. So, yay. Yay is right. That's awesome. A challenge and a triumph all in one. My challenge this week has been getting through a lot of um, minutia. So that can can really... all relate to that. Yeah. A lot of, okay, I've got to edit this document and I have to send out these emails and I'm doing a workshop and I've got to get those details to the person that's, you know, putting the in charge of the workshop and they're just all of this minutia that feels like I'm not doing the things that I want to do. Right. But are incredibly necessary in the grand scheme of things. So one of the things that I've done that kind of worked into my pattern of, of work to keep myself from just being like, ah, more minutia <laughs> is I work for, Two hours. I know there's there's some you know some people say an hour, but to me, if I pull myself after an hour, yeah, right. then I feel like I got to restart again. So I'll go for two hours, mm-hmm. and then I give myself a treat. Oh, a, a reward. A reward. Yeah. And okay. I set my timer for fifteen minutes. So I listen to a chapter of Company of One, which is what I'm currently listening to, or. I will watch something on Masterclass because that's perfect. You know, They're their little classes little yes. are 12 minutes, 14 minutes long. Right. So um, there's great Neil Gaiman just started his Masterclass. I can't wait to watch it. Uh, so I'll listen to something on Masterclass. Right. 15 minutes, my timer goes off, back at work. Okay. Back to that's the minutia. That's a really, really smart way of doing it. And you can do that if you're writing. I do that if I'm writing as well. I'll write for two hours, stop, you know. And I also try to do something physical. So yes. I'll get up and, and, you know, move around a little bit so that I'm not just sitting, sitting, sitting. So if I'm doing my master class thing, I typically take my iPad into the kitchen where I have a big island and I'll stand at that's the island. Good. You know, so that I'm not sitting. The whole time. Uh, we talk about authors that we admire and, yeah. and have interesting uh, nuggets of wisdom. Right. And to your point on the on the physical activity, on the Dan Brown Masterclass, he talks about the exact same thing. He yep. actually has a program on his computer oh, that that's shuts right. it down. Shuts his computer. I couldn't For do that. five minutes or ten minutes. Yeah. I can't remember the time increment. And he does sit-ups or push-ups or yeah. takes a lap around the house or because yeah. he's got a pretty big house. Um, you think Dan Brown has a big house? <laughs> Let's Google it. I would bet he does. <laughs> um, and so, th- no, to your point, I mean, yeah. I think physical um, activity 
promotes your brain, promotes your brain it does. energy. There's all kinds of research about that. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Think about when you're, I mean, I take my dog on a walk all the time and, yeah. and a lot of times I'll have ideas about what I'm writing. Get a lot of good ideas that, that way. Yeah. Yep. I can't take my dog on a walk because A, I don't have a dog <laughs> and B, I live in the country on a five acre farm. So yeah. Last week we talked about who's your audience going to be. And I, and, and that was certainly something that I had to come up with and that I thought about a lot on this fourth book of mine. Right. I had been through the experience of writing three books that I thought were commercially viable, found out maybe, maybe not so much, still self-published them. Right. Still got an audience, a small one. Right. That, right. that supported me and seemed to like. But when I sat down, before I even started writing this book, I, I sat down and thought to myself, what is your goal with this next project? I think that's huge. Huge. I think every writer has to do it. And there are all kinds of goals that you can have for your writing. One goal would be, I want to publish a blog. I have an idea. It might not be an idea that's sustainable for a book, but I like it. I like the thought of it. I, I want to play around with it. And that can go into a blog. That's exactly right. Yeah. That would be a perfect blog post. And that's a, it's fine. I'll tell you why I really first started writing my first book. To Tell see, to, to see if I could do to it. To see if you could write it. Yeah, <laughs> and and that's true of a lot of writers. Right. Yeah. I it's mean, the idea is there, and you're excited about the idea, but the goal in mind is to to write a book. Right. And to get to the goal line of having written a book. You know, there's there's a a couple of years ago there were some numbers that were floating around the interwebs about um, the numbers of people that want to write a book. And I don't know how legitimate it actually is, but there was a um, estimate of 80% of people say they want to write a book. And I can kind of attest to that because every time people find out that I'm an agent or a book coach, they go, Oh, 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 I want to write a book. It's amazing. Yeah. I found, yeah, since I've been in this world and people knowing that I'm a writer and a lot of you out there may have had the same experience. When you mentioned that you're a writer, I, it, it's it's nine times out of ten someone will say, "I've got a great idea for a book." Yeah, I'm not going to write it, but here you can have it. Yeah, or I want to write a book. Yeah. It's something or, I'm yeah. I'm going to do someday. Right. I'm going to write a book. But yeah, <laughs> do they? Well, and here's the thing. <laughs> so of those eighty percent of people who say they want to write a book, twenty percent of people actually write a book oh interesting so button seat going through the grind of taking their idea and turning it into written form yep so maybe 20 percent of people that say they want to write a book actually end up with a book and then of that 20 percent the numbers are somewhere around eight percent actually do something with it so that means going out to uh, Amazon or looking for an agent, right. finding a publisher. So about 8%. That's that's an amazing stat. It's an so amazing stat. So 92% of those who actually write it don't ever do anything with it. Don't do anything with it. That's an amazing stat. But I will say this. Out of the, the 80% of people who say they mm-hmm. want to b- write a book, 
And then the 20% of those people who actually write a book, mm-hmm. I am so impressed by those people. Absolutely. Because it takes a lot to write a book. If you, it is a commitment of time and brain energy. And resources and time away from your family yep. and all your other pursuits. It's a huge, huge, huge. commitment of time. Yep. You know, our goal here mm-hmm. is to make sure that if you're going to take that time and you're going to invest it in writing a book, that you write the very best book you can. That's exactly right. I mean, to me, that's the goal is to yes. write the very, very best book you can. And we want to help you do that. Even if you just want something on your shelf yeah, to look at. So why wouldn't you write a really great book? Why not? Even if you're not going to publish it, right? Yep. So one of the absolute musts to writing a really good book is to figure out who you're writing for. Right. So, you know, you may be writing for a for your blog audience mm-hmm. of 10 mm-hmm. or your blog audience of 5,000. Right. I Somebody uh, who I follow... And really like his writing. He's He writes spare, but he writes witty, and he's interesting. Paul Jarvis is a um, maker. He makes websites, but he, he's a really high-end website design. Mm-hmm. He's worked for Mercedes-Benz. He has a really nice blog following. He has a really solid list of blog followers because he's been doing this for a long, long time. Right. He just wrote a book. So, and I got it. I'm going to look it up. Oh, yeah, please do. Because half of what I read, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes, half of what <laughs> I quote unquote read is actually listening to books on Audible right. because I don't always have time to read. So, well, that's the a great only way, way to do it. You could be driving, working out. Absolutely. Right? I mean, in the shower. Could, in the shower. You that still, may be you're TMI. Because <laughs> <laughs> I listen to a lot of books in the shower. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good thing. Um, so his book, Paul's book, is called Company of One. Okay. Why? Oh, Audible. Shame on you, Audible. You put a big sticker over his, uh, Why Staying Small is the Next Something. There's a big sticker over it. I can't, t- I can't see the subtitle of it. I'm putting it on my... <clears throat> Notes of authors to read right now. Yeah. So what Paul did was he's been writing for years and he knew that he had a message that he wanted to craft an idea for a book that he wanted to craft that was bigger than his blog audience. And so he has now written this book, Company of One, because that takes him kind of beyond this this blogging community that mm-hmm. he's been nurturing through his blog for so long. So he knew that that audience existed because right. people were writing to him and asking him questions and saying, how did you, how did you, how did you, how did you create this successful business making, you know, a substantial amount of money sure, um, with just you without having to grow right. it into a big company? Okay. Uh, fascinating story. Paul's mm-hmm. a you know fascinating guy. I highly encourage you to go and check out. I think it's pauljarvis.com. Um, check out his blog if you're interested in making or running an entrepreneurial business. Great asset. Sure. So that's one one way of going at it. Saying I have this blog audience that's quite large, and I want to go beyond that audience with my idea. So I'm going to write a nonfiction book mm-hmm. that will help me, you know, kind of move beyond. In the industry, 
we tend to discount and poo-poo, and I think it's kind of a snobbery thing. Okay. Is that people just want to write for themselves and their family. Sure. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. I, I think it's a lovely of course. goal if you want to tell your story and you want to do it in a way that it can be handed down. My mother joined a writing group. A few I didn't years know ago, that. yeah, and we've never talked about no. that, but she did, um, and she's had a little bit of a creative streak her whole life, and comes from a very creative family, you know, performers, and 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 she decided she wanted to write her memories, a form of a memoir, I right. guess, and she joined a writers group, and and they would write a short story a week or every couple of weeks, and so she's. Put all those in a, in a folder and a binder, and we love to read those. Yeah, we love yeah. to read them, and that's all she wanted. She just wanted that was her it. goal. I think that's a really cool goal for it people. Is. It is. I think it's important that you understand because I get a lot of submissions, a lot of submissions, where people say, "My aunt did this incredible thing," or "My father was a really interesting person, so I wrote a book about him," mm-hmm. or "I had an interesting life." So I've written this book. I think it's really important that you you sit down and have an honest conversation with yourself and maybe some people around you sure, and say, is this a book that other people would be interested in? Is it an idea that's big enough that there is an audience outside of your core group of people? Right. That's a hard thing to do. For a it's, lot of people. It's a really tough thing to do for a lot of people. So you really have to look at your idea and say, who is my audience? Mm-hmm. And who's going to be interested outside of that? How far? And, you know, you can kind of think of it as ripples on a pond. How far can that idea go? Right. Before I'm going to, you know, hit the wall. Exactly. Yeah. You know, we're part of a writer's group that... that that Sandra kind of guides us through um, that I found is invaluable for feedback on what you're writing. Right. And I think having some people joining a writer's group and having others tell you what, what they think, is this something good? Is it, is it something that's just for you? I think that's a good way to do it. Get get another opinion outside of your family, outside of your spouse. And it doesn't matter if you're writing fiction or nonfiction, if you're writing memoir, autobiography, even if you're just writing short stories. Sure. Or, and I say that word just a lot because I don't mean <laughs> just in terms of, oh, just short Because I love short stories. Of course. A, I love short stories. Yeah. I love poetry. It, what matters is that you really think about who you're writing for. That's right. You know, I talked about sitting down and... and and my goal for Powder House, and it literally was to be commercially successful. I mean, I think in a way, all us writers dream of being the next John Grisham or the next Stephen King. That's probably not going to happen for most of us. But if that is your dream, you need to know that when you start writing. And you need to, you need to understand that there are guidelines for that. And there's a reason why... Your first 15 pages has to be your first 15 pages. <laughs> <laughs> Why it has to be compelling. That's right. And, there you go. Uh, attention grabbing and That's pull people all, into your story. Right. I, absolutely. Um, there, there is a difference. And one of the decisions that you're going to make pretty early on mm-hmm. as a writer is to say, my goal is to be traditionally 
published or my goal is to put my work up on Amazon and see if I can, you know, garner an audience or my goal is to be commercially viable. Mm -hmm. And within all of those audience decisions and goal decisions are parameters that you have to fit within. Absolutely. So if your goal is to put, if you're writing something that you feel is is super creative and very innovative and unique and does not, and I get this all the time, you know, my book is very different and does not fit within any genre. Yikes. That for Uh-oh. for agents and publishers, that's a kind of a big red flag. We kind of go, uh, no. Right. And the reason we say no is because we know that to sell a book commercially, it has to fit somewhere, both on a physical bookstore shelf right, or within the types of searches people do on Amazon and kind of within the framework that readers have of what the types of books that are available are. That's exactly right. And if you go way outside of those parameters you might get lucky and garner an audience and a readership, but it's going to be harder. It's going to take longer. You know, you've got to be willing to spend the time that it's going to take to get people, draw people into your story and your books. And in this day and age of publication, the big publishers are not interested in spending that kind of time and effort. To sell your book. No. I just read a really interesting article. Um, on Sunday, I go through all of the things that I subscribe to. And I, I go through and I read all the articles that are interesting. And then I spend some of those out to the writing group. And I will now start spending some of those out on our Patreon page. Okay. Good so idea. that that'll be a great resource. It's easy to just post it there so that people can have that as a resource. One of the things I read recently was about comparative titles. And the really interesting part for me was that editors said, I want to say, and I'm, I'm trying to make sure I quote this absolutely right, that something like 70% of the buying decision for an editor mm-hmm. is based on comparative title. Wow. Yeah, it was stunning. That's an astounding number. I had never heard an editor say, and this was not just one editor, this was a series of editors were mm-hmm. interviewed mm-hmm. about this topic and almost to a person comparative title made or or broke their decision whether or not to buy a book. Wow. So editors are basing their decisions on the audience that came before you mm-hmm. and how well a book did for a particular audience. So let's say you are the author, the writer, mm-hmm. who's trying to be the author that sells millions of books. Right. So you've got to take that into consideration as you're writing. You've, you, got, you, to, you've got to understand that these editors are looking for the next thing that's going to sell. Absolutely. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Trust me, I was creative with my first books. I understood. I, I wanted to do something different. I wanted to, to come up with something unique. And, and I'm proud of what I did, but if you're going to choose to be, to go for that commercial market, yeah, you've got to understand um, the parameters you're working within. Well, you also have to think about how readers operate. Yes. You know, so if, if I read something 
and I get excited about it, mm-hmm. then I want to read something else either by that same author or something that's really similar. Yeah. You know, because you get in a vein and you're like, um, I just want to read murder mysteries that have really complicated female you know, protagonists, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's my jam right now. Mm -hmm. I just want to read everything I can that's gone girl. Yes. Well, editors are no different. They're looking at the numbers and going, bring me the next gone girl. Bring me the next anything that has the word girl in the title. I was about to bring that up. (laughs) It still hasn't ended. It's still going on. No, I look at Publishers Marketplace every day and every day I see books with girl in the title and I'm like, ah! I Um, I should rename my book The Girl Who Lived in Powder House. I, no, because <laughs> no, Powderhouse is too good a title is, just know, on its but own. The girl, yeah. the girl trend is a perfect example yeah. of what the big yeah. publishers are doing and what they're yeah. looking for. Well, they're looking at things that have been successful. Without a doubt, you can't yeah. fault them for that. And why wouldn't you? Why, why fight that? Right. So why fight that as a writer? Right. If you, um, if you have an idea and you get excited about it. Look around and say, what's my audience for this? And Mm -hmm. a a great way to do that is to, and first, before I say this, I just want to say, I am a huge champion of independent bookstores. I spend a lot of money in independent bookstores because I believe in independent bookstores. I have a list on my phone of independent bookstores across America. Mm -hmm. I visit them when I travel. I champion our local independent bookstores, Snail on the Wall Books. Yes. Um, indie books. Um, I love independent bookstores. So that aside, <laughs> <laughs> especially if you live in a place where there isn't a good independent bookstore, mm-hmm. you have to rely on an Amazon or a Barnes & Noble. Fact of life. If Absolutely. you want, If you read and if you're writing... You better be reading. Mm -hmm. So you can go on Amazon and type in your title, your potential title for your book. You can type in keywords around the idea that you have and see what percolates. Mm -hmm. And then you can start looking at those books that you're going to consider being your comparative titles down the road. And it's a great idea. See what the audience is. See what the people who are, um, see what people are reading around your keywords. That's exactly right. Yeah. So it, it, it pops right up. Amazon will give you a list of however many you want to look at. Absolutely. So if you're writing a, um, a, a murder or a, a thriller with paranormal. Right. That's, you're talking about mine. Yeah. yeah. With a paranormal twist. twist. Yeah. Then you could go and type that in. You Without could type in, you know, Thrillers with ghosts, Mm -hmm. ghost story thrillers, you know, um, all of those keywords that would trigger a search and see. And then the other thing you can do is down at the bottom, you'll see a down, I guess, toward the middle, you'll see a list that will show you where that book fits within um, the, the sales ranking Per That's, category. I mean, you can get so much information right there. It's, Amazon is a gold mine of information about book sales, audience. Look at the reviews. Look at the reviews. That's huge. Right there. That'll tell you, you know, everything you need to know. 
Um, not everything, but it's, you know, it tells you a lot because those are readers. Lot. Yeah. It tells you what readers, you know, read, I, read the verified purchase reviews. That's a good point. Make sure you read <laughs> Filter the verified that out. And you'll be surprised. I mean, I have a particular book and I will never give the title of this book. This kind of my bugaboo book. It should, I feel like it should have never been published. So it, you know, know what I'm I talking know what's about. Coming. I've talked about this book in our writers group a lot. Huge advance for this book. Mm -hmm. The author got a huge advance. And if you go and read the reviews for that book, I would say the reviews probably five out of six are negative, terrible, terrible reviews. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily a book you would want to use for your comparative. No, not at all. If if the readers are saying that, the publishers know it. Yeah, absolutely. And so you do not want to use that as a comparative title at all. So don't go to just um, number one bestsellers. Don't go, because there's a a lot of reasons why a book ends up being a number one bestseller. And it's not always because it's beautifully or fantastically written. Sorry, truth be told. (laughs) Um, So look at the reviews and see what, what readers are saying. And then go dial down to those numbers where it really shows you how it ranked within a particular category. And that will show you, it, it gives you not a great, but some indication as to the sales around that book. Sure. And then you'll know if you've got a, a really good comparative title. And you'll know, is there an audience big enough to sustain my book idea? Yeah. So yeah. if you're writing, I, I'm going to go back to one of the things that Judd mentioned in, in episode one. Uh-huh. So let's just say you're writing a book about a zookeeper. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pretty good reference on you the know, fly. Uh, a zookeeper who, um, who I don't know, has decided to be an artist. Oh, wow. You I know, didn't know just you were going like, there. Okay. Just kind of twist it up. Right. So you might, you know, type in zookeeper artists. Sure. It's kind of a small idea. You, I mean, I'm sure that there's someone out there that's creative enough to make that into something huge. Of course. Um. In my mind, I'm struggling to think of comparative titles right now. And I can usually... The Zookeeper's Wife comes to mind, which was okay. a big, big book. Yeah. Um, so you could look at The Zookeeper's Wife and you could say, okay, my book is similar to this in this way. It's set in a zoo. And then you could look at books about people who left a particular um, occupation and became artists. Mm-hmm. And you could find a comparative title there. Right. And then you would say, okay, well, there's a an audience for books about zookeepers. There's an audience for books about people who left their occupation and became an artist. And there's, you know, between those two topics, I could probably call an audience for this book. Maybe. Well, that's a good point and something to maybe talk about also is is when you're sitting on this idea and you're trying to determine if it's big enough for a book, maybe go see how big the audience is before you you decide to commit time to it, depending on your goal. Right. right. Um, You may just want to reach a small audience because you've got such a neat idea that that you think word of mouth will will make it bigger um, in the end. But yeah, I, I think if you go to Amazon and type in zookeeper artist (laughs) you're going to find out pretty quick that there's just not going to be a lot of people reading no but that's not to say that that's still not a great idea and that you couldn't turn it into the next um what was the book that was i do this a lot just just so y'all know (laughs) i do this I, I, i read a lot and i'm not always great about remembering the titles right 
Um, and it was made into a movie. The one about the water and the monster, and she says, Oh, The Shape of Water. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Judd's always good about finding the titles for me. Um, So The Shape of Water, kind of a bizarre... Incredibly bizarre. Right? Just If you came to me with that, I I would have been one of those agents that two, three, four years later would have been whacking my head going, why didn't I pick up that book? Of course. Because look how big it became. So... That's not to say that there has to be a huge audience, Mm -mm. but if you, I always say writing is a crapshoot. Right. You never know. You you can spend a year, two years, five years on a book. You can pour your heart and soul into it Mm -hmm. and then take it out to agents and take it out to publishers. It could be the most beautiful book on the planet and still not get published. Of course. So you got to love the idea. I have had one of those, and it was heartbreaking. Right. It was heartbreaking for everybody involved. Right. Um, so you got to love the idea first. You said The Shape of Water was a book? I believe it was a book. Okay. I don't know. I'm, I'm just asking. And I'm just, you know, that that it makes me think, was that this author's first published work? Because a lot of times we see these incredibly innovative and creative stories that get released, whether it's a book or a movie. Right. And so we think, I can do that. I, I, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be the. I'm going to make the most creative and unique t- idea and take it and, and make it something that that will be hugely successful. But I think what you'll find a lot of times is that the the people behind those stories are already established. Right. They're already within the industry, and I think that. You've got to keep that in mind if you are a first-time writer. You got to get inside, yeah, inside the room before you start. I mean, I'd say if you're a first-time writer out there trying to break into the publishing world, work within the parameters that are set. Yeah, no, I think that's. I think it's wise, and I think it's also wise to really consider who your reader is. Yes, who your audience is going to ultimately be. Right. So that you're not disappointed, having spent all that time. Only to find that there's, you know, a handful of people that are interested in your um, your fan fiction of Aladdin. That's an, that's probably out you know? there. And that's okay <laughs> that you want to write fan fiction of Aladdin. I don't have a problem with that. Not a lot of people are going to read it. You know, and there are sites where you can publish fan fiction of anything. Of anything. And people get really jazzed, you know, about your fan fiction. And authors have gotten picked up off of these fan fiction sites. Right. And their books have gone on and been published and, you know, they've had tremendous success because they found an audience. That's it. So it all, it literally always comes down to audience for you, in the end, for your books. It does. And your stories. It does. Yeah, and it's your, it's really um, up to you, the writer, not up to an agent, not up to an editor, not up to... Amazon or anywhere else that you might put your work mm-hmm. to figure out who that audience is. Right. And where that audience lives. I mean, that's the other thing. Because you wrote a kind of divergent hunger game. I was a, yeah, my, my first, <clears throat> the trilogy I wrote is a post-apocalyptic thriller adventure story. With um, a young girl at the core. With a young girl at the core. Yeah. Did you think it was YA? Did you even know that? You know, I it was, it was a consideration. No, okay. I, I will fully admit I did not okay. know that. I was I was the the guy that, like I mentioned earlier, I wanted to see if I could write a book. 
And when I got done with it, there were some considerations of making it YA, but there were so many adult themes. There's a there's a married couple who are the mother and father of this these teenage twins who are kind of the protagonists of the story. And um, you know, I, I didn't think I could remove though that element and and make it YA and still keep the story I wanted to keep. Okay. So again, was I really thinking about audience when I wrote that book? I don't think I was. And I think it going back, it would have been a nice consideration. I, I, yeah. I really think it's an important thing to consider when you're establishing what your goal is. I think you would have made, I well, I know you would have made different choices. Without a doubt. Um, you may have considered going down the YA if you had really looked at audience. Absolutely. Route for that series. Um, and the series would have evolved very differently. Sure. Sure. But yeah. I'm a perfect example of trying to reinvent the wheel. <laughs> there is no doubt about it. I yeah. thought I could write something that was that was in that vein and yet brand new and unique and, yeah. and brilliant. Um, and now with your second book, mm-hmm. with Powderhouse, mm-hmm. we talked about and brainstormed comparative titles. We did. Right from the get-go. We did. Yeah. So Absolutely. when you first started telling me the idea... After I looked at your first 15 pages and said, I got nothing. No, no, right. I don't know what you're that's trying my to write. Fir- that's my original first 15 right. pages, yes. But then once you rewrote the first 15 pages, and I really felt like you had the core of the idea for the book nailed. Right. Then we talked about, okay, is it this, is it this, is it this? And we said, you know, is your protagonist like mm-hmm. Gone Girl? Is mm-hmm. it Girl on the Train? Yeah. You know, who who reminds you of your protagonist so that we right. could kind of nail down who are you writing for? That's exactly right. Do, yeah. do it very early on. Yeah. And and it'll, it, yeah, it'll, it'll guide you through your book. There's it, nothing wrong with having those, those books in mind as you're writing. Well, because it, it makes... It causes you to make certain decisions as a, and we're right. going to talk about genre and form in the next podcast. Mm-hmm. But if you don't understand that your um, audience has certain expectations and that you have to address those expectations when you're doing the writing, you're going to miss the boat. Right. Without so a doubt. You got to know that audience. Got to know. Before Absolutely. you even get started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That. It doesn't seem like a fun thing to have to do, but it can right. be. Right. It almost seems debilitating as a creative person, but there's nothing wrong with that. And you need you have to accept that if you're going for the commercial audience. Yeah, I think you. Well, and I see you always want to say it's debilitating, which cracks me up. I'm still no. I've learned over the past I year. I think it's freeing. So we've discussed this a lot. <clears throat> yeah. I said it may seem debilitating. Okay, Let me go back and say me. that. Yes. It may seem debilitating because it did for me. Okay. Well, I don't want to write the next girl on the train. Right, right. Well, why not? Why don't you why don't you why don't you look at that book and see how it was done and and, and write within those parameters using your creativity to right. make it your own. Right. We're not saying that you, um, to use those parameters to put you in a box. At all. We're saying that if you have a particular idea and you know that you want to write for a particular audience. Right. That there are some parameters, some expectations and some um, conventions mm-hmm. that will help you 
reach that audience. That's right. Because that's what the audience expects. Absolutely. Don't fight that. Don't fight it. Don't fight it. Or if you want to fight it and that's not your jam and you don't want to write a book that will be traditionally published, commercially successful, put it on Amazon. That's fine. And that's a that's an accomplishment. Do what you got to do Absolutely. to bring people into that and let people know, hey, this is different. It's um, it defies the conventions and all of those things. That's great. It is. I think it's fine. But be aware. And I think that's what we're trying to do here is really, really set the expectation for the writer. That's right. And the awareness for a writer. You have to be aware that if you're going to go down that traditional commercially successful route, there are things that you, little boxes you're going to have to check. Without and one of them is knowing your audience. Thanks guys for joining us next week. We'll be talking about form and genre. Looking forward to it. If you found the information in this podcast useful and you want even more help with your book, jump over to our Patreon page at patreon slash yourfirst15pages.com to find ways you can subscribe to the show notes for each podcast that include all the references we mention each week, worksheets, mini classes, and much more. And if you're looking for a supportive writing community, subscribe to the publisher tier on Patreon and you'll get access to a tribe of writers who will help you make your book a reality. And if you're looking for even more help with your book, subscribe to the bestseller tier and you can join Judd and I on a monthly coaching call. Thanks for listening and join us next time for Your First 15 Pages, the podcast that turns writers into authors.